Welcome to episode 68 of Kyperian Commentary Podcast. We have gone through a little sabbatical and now we're back. And we're back to talk about the reason we started this website in the first place. Because we wanted to provide a kind of systematic view of the world through the biblical lenses. And there was one man in particular that really encapsulated a lot of that. That was a man by the name of Abraham Kuyper. Our guest today is also a contributor of Kuyperian.com and is Jesse Sumter. Jesse, how are you, my brother? Doing well. Thanks, Yuri. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here with you talking about Abraham Kuyper. I'm excited. So thanks. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a delight to have you here with us. And I want to, first of all, thank you for your contributions on this issue. So essentially what you've done, Jesse, is you have looked through, you have read through Kuyper's classic work called Lectures on Calvinism, and you have essentially offered a real beautiful summary in six articles of that book. So if people have not read the book, this is a great way to sort of whet your appetite for the content of the book, which is very rich. And so Jesse, uh, just to begin here for our listeners, can you provide a, a little background to this work, Lectures on Calvinism, how it came about? Yeah, good. Um, so uh, Kuyper is um, a, a Dutch Reformed teacher and minister, and uh, he um, actually was um, a prime minister in the Netherlands there. Uh, from 1901 to 1905. Um, so these lectures actually happened a little before that in 1898. And he was invited by B.B. Warfield to give uh, this series of lectures at Princeton Theological Seminary. It was called the Stone Lectures. And he gave these six lectures on Calvinism over a series of days. It was a couple of weeks there in October. Um, of that year. And, and uh, so he's sitting there, he, he's there uh, talking about Calvinism and he's covering a number of topics. Uh, he starts with uh, thinking about it just as a, a life system, a worldview. And then he considers Calvinism in science, Calvinism in art, Calvinism in politics, he covers a wide variety of topics that way, kind of taking one of those topics for each of his lectures then so that's the context, and that's the, uh, what he what the project was there. Very good, and you have done such a fine job dissecting this here. And I want to take our, our readers to that. I'll make sure to link this after our uh, show here. But when you are talking about Kuiper with, with someone else, so they say, uh, Jesse, why have you picked up this topic of Abraham Kuiper? Why would you spend time summarizing in a book written long ago? What what kind of answer would you give? In other words, what's your elevator pitch, Jesse? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think uh, Kuiper and what he was doing with these lectures was showing how Calvinism was not something that was fading away or was outdated, but rather something that was uh, necessary and needed and, um, and in fact, actually uh, could help answer a lot of the questions that Kuiper was uh, considering and, and having to answer and deal with in his own time. And that's actually something that I think is still uh, relevant for us today, that as we're looking at uh, Calvin and Calvinism and then looking at Kuiper here, these are things that actually he's talking about that uh, directly impact us today. And so this is, these are not abstract things. I mean, talking about 
um, science, for example, right, where, um, you know, Kuiper is dealing with issues of Darwinism and natural selection, and he's talking through those worldviews and how those life systems, as he describes them, how they are uh, rivals of Christianity. And he, he's, he's then talking about Calvinism, saying, hey, Calvinism, Calvinism actually answers these questions we have about the origins of life and why we're here and what we're, what we're called to do. And um, so he, he really clearly lays those things out as uh, systems of thought that we need to recognize that it's not just, we're not just talking about natural selection or we're not just talking about origins. We're talking about everything, really. So in that way, I think Kuiper is um, wonderfully uh, contemporary for us and a wonderful resource there in dealing with a lot of the questions that, that we have, a lot of the issues that come up in our own society and culture and time. That's fascinating in the sense that I've always thought about that the um, one of the tests, at least, of uh, a writer who's had an impact is whether his work endures. And Abraham Kuyper's work has endured for a very long time, and perhaps it is precisely for what you said because of its applicability to current issues. As you have read through Kuyper's book, Jesse, can you think of, is there one particular issue in Kuyper that is particularly relevant uh, to our day as Calvinistic Christians or evangelicals in general? Yeah, I, I think um, actually it was it was interesting going back through. So I've been through these uh, lectures. I've read them uh, once in college, and then I was uh, going back through them as I was working on my articles. And it was this time through that it really struck me how much Kuiper talks about the issue of Darwinism and natural selection. Uh, I already mentioned that that issue, uh, but it, he just addresses that over and over again in really fascinating ways. He actually. Um, he he sets it up and it, uh, again he and he approaches it as a as a life system. It's a worldview, and uh, it was it was so easy to compartmentalize these this issue and to be like, oh, it's just science, right? It's just it's just um, you, you know this is these are th these don't actually deal really matter to you know how people really live their lives or how they think about the world. It's just you know this is this is a discussion with scientists that, that they have and and Kuiper's like, no, no, this is a world system. And it, it shapes how we understand the world. And, and he understood that, that it was a threat then to Christianity if we didn't, if we didn't think about it carefully and correctly and properly. And um, he, he actually uh, ties it, connects it into uh, Calvinism by, um, and I mentioned this in my, uh, in summarizing the last lecture, he emphasizes this in his closing there that Kuiper says that it's really, um, we have we have this uh, rivalry or this contest between election on the one side, so God's sovereign election, and then we have natural selection on the other side. So we have election versus selection. It's a yeah. wonderful way to remember that contrast there. And and Kuiper says, well, in natural selection, what we have there is that it's a natural process that just it's in it's it's random, it's it's unorganized, it's not directed at all, it's not personal. It's impersonal. Uh, it's um, and, and it's and it's just this process that's just going. You know that's what selection does. It's just natural selection. So if we and it reduces everything to biology, then in that way. And he saw that and he recognized that in his own time. And and that was you know just you know a couple of decades after Darwin really um, got his steam rolling. And um, and then he says on the other side, the Kuiper says, well actually no, if we recognize that Calvinism in in, in election, God's sovereign election of his people 
to salvation, um, that is a wonderful answer to that, right? So that that God's election is personal. Um, he uh, name you know picks us individually, um, he, and it's um, it's in God's sovereignty, right? God's lordship, Jesus' lordship. That it's not um, it's not random. It's not something that, that that is not planned out. It's actually been planned out. It's it's very uh, personal that way. And so, um, that's a wonderful way to respond and to answer that, that no, actually God is in control of everything. He loves his creation. He loves his people and he's working things out for our good in a wonderful and, and glorious way that is, is really for God's glory. What we look at as we come through Kuiper is he takes the genius, the 16th century reformation, he takes his own knowledge, his ability to engage so many issues, and he says, this is how a doc- the doctrine of a gracious and sovereign God speaks to all areas of life. And perhaps the area where he most made a mark, I could say, is on developing this uh, idea of sphere sovereignty. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that to our listeners? Yeah, so sphere sovereignty uh, with Abraham Kuyper is um, that's one of his key ideas, and he actually walks through that in a couple of his lectures here in a lecture on Calvinism, and he uh, talks about it in like his opening lecture, and then he talks about it also in uh, Calvinism and religion, as well as Calvinism and politics. And sphere sovereignty is uh, the idea that God has established certain spheres of authority, certain governments in the world. And there are three of them. So you have uh, the state, you have the church, and you have the family. The state, the state authority there is set up uh, by God. We see that in Romans 13 to um, defend the land, to punish evildoers with the sword. And then you have the family that uh, God has set up um, where you've got... um, you have uh, the husband and wife, you have them uh, raising kids, having children, being uh, fruitful and multiplying there, and God has set up that authority. And then you also have the church, uh, the church authority. The church um, is set up to uh, minister uh, the word and sacraments and to discipline around those. And so those are the three spheres then, uh, state, the church, and the family. And then those are all uh, based on or assuming the a prior sort of fourth sphere, if you will, of the self-government, the individual being disciplined, having self-control, knowing um, right from wrong, those things. And so uh, the individual operates in each of these spheres, uh, depending on whether he's part of a family or he's going to church or he's a church officer or if he's, you know, a city council member or something like that. And uh, Kuiper, in his lectures, he talks about different ways that either the church has overstepped its boundaries. So he suggests that's what um, often what happened in the medieval age is that the church would overreach its boundaries, either imposing itself on science or on the arts, and rather it needed to uh, restrict itself, pull itself back. Uh, but then he also talks about how you see that happening with the state as well, the state uh, overreaching its boundaries, its sphere, um, either trying to control the church or trying to control the family. And so that that idea of the of the the spheres of government there are uh, an important key idea from Kuiper to understand. I think it's very appropriate for our own time uh, because we see a lot of the the state uh, really 
uh, overreaching in many ways in our own time, trying to control the family. Not yet try get, yet getting to controlling the, the church, but uh, soon that will happen on issues of like uh, gay marriage or transgender stuff. That, that's that's probably coming pretty soon, actually. Yeah, which is why I think a, a renewed understanding of Kuiper and his work is so fruitful for our day. At the same time, when we talk about Abraham Kuiper and this sort of comprehensive view of the Christian faith, this comprehensive view of the authority of Jesus as Lord over heaven and earth, we still have a kind of what I call, Jesse, a pietistic reaction to Kuiperianism. I wanted to get your thoughts. I have some of my own theories here on this issue, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on why is Kuiperianism in its proclamation of lordship of Jesus still somewhat <laughs> allergic in the evangelical church that we um, are exposed to in our day? Yeah, because I think um, there's, there's a number of factors, and I think Kuiper actually touches on some of them, where in our day, that sort of pietistic um, reaction there, kind of the way I'd understand it would be uh, trying to kind of um, over-spiritualizing the gospel, where our mission is merely to save souls and, you know, quick get people to heaven. Um, you know, we don't really want to get into the issue of politics. I mean, uh, you know, talking about religion is already bad enough, right? You're not supposed to talk about that. But if you talk about politics right, and right. religion, then you're, you're really going to start offending people. And, uh, and Kuiper, I think, uh, rightly identifies that as a, actually an Anabaptist idea. So the Anabaptism, uh, Anabaptists, mm. uh, where they, uh, they were part of the more what we call the radical reformation, um, even farther out there than Luther and Calvin. And I, I think even Zwingli, um, where they were, um, they would, um, basically they, they got rid of like a church government, you know, church authority, church structures at all. It was, you know, every man for himself in terms of how the church operated. Um, and they were uh, highly skeptical of, uh, involvement all in the political system, in any way, shape or form. Uh, and, and there are some, you know, some Bible verses they could point to, to kind of talk about that, where Jesus says, you know, my, my kingdom is not of this world, or, you know, you, you need to be careful about making oaths and things like that. But the, the Anabaptists would, um, would say, well, no, that means we can't be part of anything. We can't be part of military. We can't be part of the government. We can't be, uh, we have to, you know, keep everything, um, basically separate. We have to separate ourselves away from the world as much as possible. We think of, there's a lot of modern examples of these groups like the Amish or Mennonites and things like that. But I think a lot of that thinking has seeped in to our, a broad contemporary evangelical world so that Christians are uh, very hesitant and, and skeptical of getting involved in politics or, or thinking even about like how uh, the Lordship of Jesus would apply to issues of like art or science or those sort of things where we think, oh no, religion and Christianity is only about our soul. It's not about, you know, biology or it's not about, um, you know, how a, an artist paints or something like that. Whereas Kuiper says, no, no, um, these are things that do matter because Jesus is Lord over everything. And so we need to um, pursue that Lordship in every area and not just sit back and, and uh, let the world do its thing. Uh, we need to be engaged in those things. So that, that's, that's where I would uh, go with that. Do you have other, other thoughts that you would? I think you've uh, touched on um, what I had in mind. I, I think there is an obvious fear uh, for the evangelical to tackle issues that um, don't come naturally to us. And so the evangelical Christians has have generally isolated themselves in issues regarding spirituality. And as you mentioned, we do a very good job, at least we have, 
catapulted by the, the work of Billy Graham. We have done a good job in sharing the four spiritual laws, in sharing the salvation of Jesus, uh, emphasizing personal relationship, Christ. But anything that's more comprehensive, we generally say, well, that is outside of our domain. And I think what Kuiper does, even you know, a couple of centuries ago, is he demolishes that kind of thinking and says the Christian ought to actually be a kind of biblical risk taker, bold, not one who cowers into his four walls, but one who actually goes out into the public square. So th this is kind of a point I wanted to bring up to you and hear your thoughts, is that the Kuyperian way of looking at the world is extremely public, right? Um, yeah. We are to be public citizens. We are to be public prophets. We are to be a public people. The public square ought not to frighten us. Where have you seen, Jesse, um, this kind of philosophy, encouraging the church to move forward? Where do you think the church has failed to live up to that public domain sort of thinking? Yeah, that's 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 good. Yeah, I think, um, I think again, it goes back to uh, thinking again, sort of that again, the, the personal relationship with Jesus, like that's important, right? Kuiper wonderfully and and recovering uh, Calvin Calvin's teaching on that. That as individuals, we do stand before God, and we will have to answer to Him for what we've done and how we've lived our lives. But then I think the thing that Kuiper does then is he then encourages us to uh, step out into these different spheres, right? To recognize that well, I'm I'm in a family, um, I'm a member of a church. I'm a citizen in a country. And so each of these roles I need to be faithful in, and I will be judged on those roles as well. I'll be judged on the how I how I live that way, how I live in the family, how I live in uh, my church, how I live and behave in, in the, the state and in the, in the city there. Um, and in terms of um, you know ways or, or, or people that are encouraging us maybe to step out into the public or trying to get us out there, um, you know, I think of... Um, uh, some who are who are doing that well. Um, there's a a group um, that I've been following called um, Apologia Studios. Apologia Studios, and uh, they have been. Um, uh, I think they're, uh, they're they're reformed. Um, I think they're Baptist um, in their background. But um, uh, Jeff Durbin, a couple other guys uh -huh. there are part of his group. Yeah, the, and, the guys in Phoenix, Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, and those guys have been uh, fascinating to watch. I don't I don't know them super well. Um, I just been kind of watching them from a distance, but um, you know they've been doing things where um, they are really trying to engage the public square um, in a really, I think, fruitful way. And 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 you know you can see you know Christians who say, well, I don't want to do it quite that way, and you know I might you know quibble a little bit here and there on how they're doing it. But the fact that they're out there in the and the the public square now is so online now, right? I mean, it, you know, both you know actually being out in public in a in a city or you know, at a park and so on, but then also just being online, being, uh, being a, a part of the conversations happening there. Uh, a m much of our public square public presence is actually online, Twitter, Facebook, uh, podcasts like this and other things. Um, and, and I see them doing that, encouraging that saying, Hey, we need to get out there and do that. And, um, and I think that's, that's wonderful, you know, being uh, salt and light there so that uh, as people are commenting and, you know, tweeting and things, we're part of the conversation. So um, those are some thoughts on, on that, do you have other other thoughts or other um, examples that you're that you're thinking of, or um, that you again uh, trying to think about that public nature of uh, being a Christian? 
I think you, you've mentioned the uh, the social media phenomenon, which I think is reaching more people than probably most of the 20th century combined. I think in the last uh, 20 years of this new, new millennia, we have probably done more for the propagation of the gospel. The gospel has probably gone farther than, I would say, the 100 years of the 20th century, which is a fascinating uh, detail in itself. And I think it is a matter of stewardship, how how we as modern-day Kyperians will use this gift as a matter of stewardship. Obviously, I think, as you mentioned, the those guys in Phoenix are doing a, a mighty fine job. Um, you all do a mighty fine job there in Moscow, Idaho, and um, with Pastor Wilson and others. And so it's, it's a stewardship. And I think we need to be cautious that we don't abuse this gift or use it in a way that's not profitable. Because I think what a lot of what I've seen is a lot of the motivation, enthusiasm in that field has led to also unnecessary sort of polemics, which is interesting because Kuiper was in many ways a polemicist. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was not uh-huh. somebody who was frightened by that. But of course, the church can itself become so fragmented that we forget the true battle of proclaiming Jesus and we get lost in the kind of secondary uh, matters, which I think don't, um, which I think can actually hinder our progress. I, 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 wa- I wanted to touch on one thing here, one final thing yeah. with you, Jesse. Sure. Which you brought in your final article on uh, lectures and Calvinism and talking about polemics. I think Kuiper is a great model because I think Kuiper was the right kind of thinker in terms of articulating his viewpoint, but also seeking a kind of healthy ecumenicism that was fruitful. For example, in the last part of the book, you talk about as you're summarized, you're talking about his views on Roman Catholicism. Yeah. And I don't know if you recall, but there's a section in the book where he actually sees a role for Rome and Protestants to work together. Do you recall how that worked out? Yeah. 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 No, I thought that was really fascinating actually. Cause um, when I, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to actually ask you about that also. Cause um, uh, yeah. So in that conversation, he, and he actually takes a, a, a position that's very similar. To, it reminded me of um, uh, Machen's position, J. Grayson Machen in uh, dealing with liberalism in America and in, in the Presbyterian church in America that, so it reminded me of that. So if, if others are interested in pursuing that, you can check out uh, Machen talks about it in uh, Christianity and liberalism. Uh, but Kuiper shared a similar idea where that um, the things that were the, the key issues that were in front of the church at the time, uh, things about the divinity of Christ, um, understanding the atonement as an actual sacrifice for our sins and not just a good example, you know, those sort of issues that liberalism uh, was raising and trying to attack and tear down Christianity, trying to basically redefine the gospel. Kuiper understood that and said that uh, he saw that it would be beneficial to uh, potentially link arms or, um, you know, have allies who are Roman Catholic on these issues because uh, they, they shared the same concerns that we do. Um, again, you know, the divinity of Christ, they would be good on that, right? They would affirm that, yeah, we need to defend that Jesus was divine. Um, again, the atonement, it wasn't just a good example that we're following. It actually does save us. Um, Roman Catholics would affirm that with us. And, um, and so, and, and, but Kuiper also qualifies it, right? So he says they would be helpful in being allies in these in these issues as we're addressing liberalism. Uh, but then he says, we, we don't want to do it blindly though. So he does recognize there's boundaries there. So he would say that, you know, following um, a lot of the reformers, we'd have um, issues with, um, you know, obviously, you know, praying to Mary and 
uh, images and you know understanding of the, the mass, communion so and on, some yeah. Of, yeah some of the other yeah other sacraments and so on. So he qualifies and says, well, we don't want to just jump into bed with them. We want to uh, be careful about how we are uh, treating that relationship. But we can see them as allies in this in this fight. Um, he then actually goes a step further, and this is where I wanted to actually ask you a little bit, Erie, about is um where he then says, well, is the future, because that's the question in that lecture. He says, what's the future of Calvinism or what's the future look like? How do, how does Calvinism look down the road? And he says that, you know, is, he basically asked the question, well, is it in Rome, right? Can we, can we go to the Roman Catholic church? Is it, is it going to look like something like Rome? And Kuiper actually says, no, actually it's not going to look like that because he thinks actually that uh, he actually describes it as it would be a, a backward trajectory. Actually, it wouldn't be moving forward. Um, in many ways, it would be going backwards uh, to go back to Rome. Uh, which I think is is insightful. But then he also talks about the um, the political nature of the Roman Catholic Church in other countries. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that in that mm-hmm. article. The, yes, uh, that I did. Summary yeah, talked about South America. He talks about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that because um, that was really striking. So, so Kuiper is talking about South America 150 years ago or so, and he's saying, "Man, South America has right, been right. heavily influenced by Rome, and there's a lot of." Uh, it's it's not that great. I mean, it's 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 some troubling things that are happening there. And I was thinking, boy, uh, you know, that was in Kuiper's time. I think there's there's still some troubling things happening in South America. I haven't followed the whole story. I don't. Uh, do you want to comment on that, Yuri? Uh, uh, I know. I think you shared some things here and there on maybe Twitter or Facebook or something. I saw uh, about um, it was like Venezuela. I think is that right? Right, right, right. And so it, I, I think it's just one of the, um, the, the genius of this, this prophet named uh, Abraham Kuyper. And I think <laughs> uh, when you look at it, for somebody who comes from, who grew up in a very Roman Catholic uh, environment, even though I was an evangelical, I was a Baptist growing up in a pastor's home. Okay. I okay. saw the kind of fruits that you would see from an authentic, genuine Catholicism. I saw the processionals in my front yard with with saints, of local saints, of national saints, international saints. And the fruit of that, almost always, Jesse, was a kind of not only moral, but financial poverty. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think that there's something very unique to that. You want to judge a religious system by its fruit, like we judge teachers by their fruit. And I think the same can be applied. I honestly don't think that Kuiper's analysis um, ought to change when he applies it, it were he alive today. I think the analysis remain relatively the same. And I think there are issues yeah, where, yeah. for example, as, as you may know, here in Pensacola, we, um, our congregation does a lot with the, the, the pro-life issue here. My associate pastor is yeah. very faithful in doing that. And we have joined forces with local Roman Catholic parishes to provide help for these ladies, provide um, money and food. But then there are a host of issues where I think, this kind of um, gathering or union simply can't exist because our found foundational views on the scriptures, on sphere sovereignty, simply wouldn't fit within the Roman Catholic system, you know. And yeah, so I think yeah. um, I would give a, a hearty amen to Kuiper um, back in the 19th century, and I would give a hearty amen were he alive today. So uh, mighty cheers for Abraham Kuiper. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Well, I I, I appreciate that because I, I um I thought that was that was really insightful. And it's it's interesting. He also talks about like you know you look, look at Europe as well, like Northern Europe, um, and even you know England and so on, where it's been heavily influenced by Calvinism. He says it's it's um it has brought real true freedom there, um, in a way that um yeah again the the cultural 
uh, Roman Catholicism that's around in the, the South America and other places like that have have not really seen that that uh, prosperity of liberty in the same vein. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think that's part of it is, is uh, again part of the understanding of the gospel. Again, I think it goes back to that idea of election, right? God's sovereign election that. Uh, Kuiper uh, harps on a number of places where, you know, God saves individuals. You know, each individual has to stand before God and give a reckoning. And when you understand that, uh, that I as an individual have been set free, that I have been um, liberated, I've been uh, completely cleansed by Jesus, that then sets me free to do so much, to, to want to do so much, to, to work for the good of my neighbor and my church and my family and my society. Um, and that's that's where it really starts at the individual. And and Kuiper talks about that. He says when the individual has been changed, that's where the world changes, right? So um, that uh, when you when you change an individual, you change you change the world because that how that individual looks at the world has been changed, has been shifted. And so that really um, is really where that that payoff is. So yeah, I think that's that's all really wonderful and really great. And yeah, uh, very thankful for Abraham Kuiper and his work. I think it's a fantastic, wonderful resource. And um, more people need to need to read his his lecture on Calvinism. Mm, amen. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Jesse Sumter, who has written uh, six articles summarizing Kuiper's great work, Lectures on Calvinism. And um, uh, Jesse, you may not know this, but uh, Kuiperian Commentary is uh, joining forces with Lexham Press, and uh, we hope to make uh, some of his some of Kuiper's works available to our audience. And maybe we'll have a- Great, good. Uh, sort of a draw in the next uh, few days here. But one of the books we'll be giving out is um, by Michael uh, Wengenman, entitled Engaging the World with Abraham Kuyper, which is a wonderful summary of Kuyper. Jesse, good, I am uh, excited about our future, excited about um, hopefully taking this message, which is not a message of a man, but a man who reflected the biblical message of Abraham Kuyper. So thanks for your time, brother. It's been a real pleasant conversation. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Yuri. Appreciate that. Uh, thanks for chatting. And um yeah, thankful to be able to do this. So thank you.